Welcome to the Lagan Valley Vineyard Podcast. We are a community passionate about seeing the Lagan Valley area filled with the presence and the teachings of Jesus. If you would like to connect with us or if we can help you in any way, please visit our website, laganvalleyvineyard.com. Today's scripture reading is from Acts 2, verses 42 to 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Good morning, good morning, good morning. It is great to see you. Um, If we haven't met before, my name is Stu. I am the executive pastor here at Lagan Valley Vineyard, and um, I love that you're all here this morning. Happy death of summer, as Chris put earlier. Um, hope, hope Autumn's treating you well. Um, I've got some really exciting news this morning. Um, tribes, as of this morning, are now live, which is super exciting. If you don't, yes, one clap, love that. Um, if you, two claps, amazing. Um, three claps, no, okay, maybe not. Um, if you don't know, tribes are small expressions of the life of Lagan Valley Vineyard that are scattered all across this region. It's where we move from rows like we are here this morning to circles. It's how we stay small as we grow big. And they're small communities of people who gather regularly in people's homes and we root ourselves in each other's lives. And we gather around three key practices. We seek Jesus together. We also love to socialize together. We love to get together, get to know each other and have a proper laugh. And we also love to serve together through compassion and what we get to do in our workplaces and in our lives every single day. Tribes are gonna be kicking off the week beginning the 16th of September. Um, But we wanna give you a little bit of time before that to sign up to a tribe. You may want to connect to a tribe that is in your local area. You may want to connect to one that suits you in terms of time. Um, There's a couple of evenings. There's also a morning tribe if you want to sign up to that. Um, We want to give you a few weeks to check them out, but I do want to say we do cap the numbers of our tribes. So I'd really encourage you, even off the back of the service today, go home, jump on our website, laganvalleyvineyard.com, check the tribes tab and sign up. Connect to the tribe and be a part of it. On Sunday the 15th, we're also going to be hosting a tribe launch night. If you've never been part of a tribe before, this launch night is for you. It's gonna be the chance for you to connect with some of our tribe leaders and to catch what tribes are all about. But also, if you have been a part of tribes for years, this launch night is also for you too. And we've said this a couple of times, but we've been doing some work and behind the scenes over the summer, James has done an amazing job um, of looking at how we shape tribe evenings. And also we've been exploring how we can serve you as our community best around practicing daily devotion to Jesus. And we're gonna be spending a lot of time on the 15th sharing that with you. So even if you've been part of our community for years, can I really encourage you to put that date into your diary, the 15th. 
um, to come out and to be a part of it. Also, if you've been a part of Tribes for years, you are the best people to talk about what Tribes are all about. So do come along and help us out as we connect uh, newcomers to it. So after the service, jump on our website, connect with the Tribe, and sign up. If you've got any questions, please do email James. He heads up Tribes in our community, and his, his email is james at laganvalleyvineyard.com. Uh, tribes are a really big deal for us here at the Vineyard, and so we're spending three weeks exploring why it is so important for us to live in community with each other. James kicked off the series last week, a series that we have entitled Community. It's got a question mark at the end of it. It's all about the eyebrows, people. And so we're unpacking the invitation for us as a church to become like family. This invitation that we see from the very beginning right the way to our unending conclusion of our story. Community is a word that you hear us talk about all of the time. And we wanted to take a few weeks to answer some really foundational questions around it. What is community? Why should we commit to it? And this morning, I wanna answer the question, what does community look like? But before I dive into the teaching this morning, I'd love just to take a moment to pray, if that's all right. So let's pray together. Jesus, thank you for your scriptures. Thank you that we get to live this stuff out together in community. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would come and be amongst us right now, that you would awaken us to the invitation that you've given us right from the beginning to be in community with each other and also in community with you. Lord, would you teach us, inspire us, challenge us even, we pray, and lead us to be the kind of people that incarnate your body into this city and into this region, not for our sake, but for everybody else's sake. In Jesus' name, amen. Last year, Emma and I did some trekking in North Vietnam um, in a region called Sapa, which is really close to the Chinese border. It's one of the best things that I have ever done, one of the most beautiful parts of the world that I've ever been to. And we were led by a woman called Mao who walked us through her neck of the woods. We walked past water buffalo. We were able to trek through rice paddies. It was just the most amazing thing. And at the end of the first day of trekking, she took a phone call and in broken English, she turned around to us and said that there was no room in the inn that we were supposed to be staying in that night. I instantly thought, that sounds very biblical. This will really help with a sermon illustration sometime. And um, she turned around and said, do you guys mind if you stay with our family that night? Now, Mao had just fended off a snake about this size, about this far from where we were standing. So I wasn't going to be sticking around this neck of the woods. So we rocked up to her family home. It was this shed-like structure with corrugated iron roof. Her kids were playing outside. There were scooters blowing up the dust of the road, like there's just scooters everywhere in Vietnam. The noise of the frogs and the crickets was like a symphony, it was incredible. And we put down our bags, we were a little bit sweaty after a day of trekking in the heat, and we got called down to the center of this home, the center of the shed, and as we walked down, all of these family members that we didn't notice were there just arrived and they pulled out these two plastic tables and plastic chairs and we began to sit down and share a meal together. I think we've got a photo of it, Andy. Um, no one in this photo, apart from Emma and Mao, speaks 
any English. They don't speak any of the same language as us. But over the next hour, we would eat some of the best food that I've ever eaten. Vietnamese food is just next level. And I was sitting beside this woman over here. This is Mao's grandmother. She was in her 70s. She had no teeth. And she just laughed and smiled at me the whole time, shouting at me in Vietnamese. And every time I turned away, she would just fill up this little cup with a little bit more rice wine. She knew exactly what she was doing. And um, it's really funny. We, this doesn't look like Lisburn. Um, we were a long way from home. We've never met these people before. We will never meet them again. They live a completely different way of life. And yet, as we sat around this table together, the differences just disappeared. With the simple practice of sharing a meal together, being present together that evening, we became one. We were the furthest that we had ever been from home, and yet this table felt like home because around their table that night, we became part of the family. If you've got a Bible with you, I'd love you to turn with me to Luke chapter one. We're going to get to our teaching text in Acts in just a little bit, but I want to point out something to you before we get there. So Luke chapter one, a couple of books into the Gospels at the start of the New Testament. Um, it's helpful for you to know that the Apostle Luke is both the author of this book, Luke, obviously, and also the book of Acts, which we're going to explore in just a few minutes. And let me tell you something about Luke. He knows exactly what he is doing. Um, Luke 1 and 2 will be very familiar to us. It is the birth narrative of Jesus. And at the center of this text, there is this interaction between an angel called Gabriel and Mary, who would soon to be the mother of God. Verse 28 of Luke chapter 1 says this, the angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Mary is just completely caught off guard by this interaction. She's a little bit freaked out and is wondering what on earth is going on. And then verse 30 says this, but the, but the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, you have found favor with God and you will conceive and give birth to a son and you're to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be son of the Most High. The Lord will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. This is an amazing invitation into destiny for this teenage peasant girl to be invited to become the mother of God herself. And rightfully so, Mary asks the question, how on earth is this going to happen? And I want you to pay attention to verse 35. This is what Gabriel says. The Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Let me say it again. The Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Through the power of the Holy Spirit resting upon Mary, the Holy Spirit activated the intention of the Father within her body and Jesus was born. Hold that thought and turn with me to Acts chapter 1. A couple of books over. Acts chapter 1. Weeks after the resurrection, Jesus is about to ascend into glory to be with the Father. He's about to release his apprentices to be his witnesses and to demonstrate the closeness of his kingdom to the ends of the earth. But notice this in Acts 1 verses 4 and 5. On one occasion while he was eating, just before he was about to ascend, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift that my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. 
For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Jesus is saying to the disciples, I want you to hold off, fellas, for a bit. Wait for the promised gift of Pentecost. And then jump down with me to verse 8, which is the text that I want you to notice. Jesus says this, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Do you see what's going on here? Luke knows exactly what he is doing. In Luke chapter one and two, we see the birth story of Jesus. And in Acts one and two, we see the birth story of Christ's body, the church. And we see it happening in exact parallel. Same author, pretty much the same words at the start of the books that he's written. In both instances, the birthing takes place through the power of the Holy Spirit. Firstly, coming upon Mary, and then also coming upon the early disciples, birthing both Christ and also his body, the church, incarnating him into time and into space. The life and the power of Jesus didn't end whenever Jesus ascended into heaven. The story of Jesus doesn't end with Jesus. It continues through a community of women and men whose family origin is exactly the same as the origin story of Jesus, birthed, formed, and empowered by the Holy Spirit. Here's the big thing that I want to get across to you this morning. The primary curator of community is the Holy Spirit. It is not us. He is the one who forms and shapes the community of the church. And if we're willing to let the the Holy Spirit bring community into being in his particular way, we will see something remarkable take place. A resurrection family will emerge. A spirit-created community will form Christ, incarnate him amongst us into the here and into the now. The Holy Spirit is the primary curator of community. And since Acts chapter 2, since Pentecost, which you can read about whenever you go home, the Holy Spirit has been inviting people to come together and to experience the same kind of community that he has been experiencing since the beginning of time itself. James spoke about this last week, but the Holy Spirit has been immersed in a community since the beginning of time, and it is so good that he doesn't want to keep it to himself. He's been inviting us into this community. This community is the Trinity, this divine dance of three distinct beings, Father, Son, and Spirit. They are diverse, they are different, but they are unified, they are together as one. And there's a culture to the community of the Trinity, generosity, unity and diversity. They're full of purpose. They pour themselves out for the sake of one another and they're bound together in love. And as the church is birthed in Acts one and two, the Holy Spirit extends this invitation for us to also enter into the same kind of community. There's an invitation for us to be a part of the new community of the church to be the kind of community that still carries the culture of the Trinity. We see this in Acts chapter one and two. The Holy Spirit forms the community into one that he has always been a part of, generous, unified yet diverse, full of purpose, a family that pours itself out for the sake of one another and in all things is bound together by love. If you walked along a street in the middle near east in the first century and you peered through the window of a home where the newly formed community of the church was gathering, 
you wouldn't believe your eyes. You notice at this table, there would be women and there would be men sat together celebrating and eating. Not one serving another, but sitting together celebrating and eating. You'd see young and you'd see old. You'd see the governor of the region sat beside the newly released convict. Isn't that the Samaritan man that you see sat at the table, you say to yourself? These people don't belong together. Actually, these people can't legally belong together. You wouldn't hear the cry of Caesar is Lord as the cup was raised up around the table. Instead, you'd witness this quietness descend upon the house as bread was passed around and as people sipped on wine together. Songs were sang. You'd hear whispers of thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There were these moments of loud celebration as it looked like strangers would walk in through the door and then instantly hands were laid upon them and moments later they would squeeze in and find themselves at home at the table. If you looked into this house, you wouldn't believe your eyes because this room, this home, this table would have broke all of the norms, all of the conventions, all of these different people around one table together. It's really important to remember that the early church wasn't formed in a vacuum. It was formed right in the thick of an empire, the Roman Empire, in a deeply religious, patriarchal, sectarian society that kept people who were on the margins right at the edge of the margins and kept those with status right in the center of it. And yet it is into this particular culture that the Holy Spirit begins to curate this very different kind of community. And Paul in Galatians chapter three has a summary of the kind of community that the Spirit started. It's gonna appear on the screen behind me, so don't worry about turning there. It's a beautiful statement where there is neither Jew nor Gentile, there's neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female. Notice what Paul is doing here. There is neither Jew nor Gentile. No longer is there to be any ethnic or racial barrier between people. That is not to be at play anymore. Neither is there slave nor free. Masters and slaves sat at table together. There is to be no more division amongst the rich and the poor, people with status or people with none. Notice also there is to be no more male and female. It is not down to only one gender to do all the submitting anymore, but both genders are invited to mutually submit as equals together in partnership and in unity. In this community, there's to be no ordering of life based on ethnicity, class, or gender. And there's so much difference that that opens up for community, but that difference shouldn't divide. And why? Because you're all one in Christ Jesus. This is what community looks like. This is the kind of community that the Spirit forms whenever he gets his hand on a group of people, a place where unity and diversity meet, where strangers become brothers and sisters, where you get to see it in action and you wouldn't believe your eyes. This is the ideal of community. I want to argue that this is the ideal of our community also, the diverse community that the Spirit forms, and yet, there are two ideals of our age that pull us away from living into this. Two ideals that narrow our diversity, that interfere with what the Spirit is wanting to do. And one of those ideals is super obvious, 
and one of them is super subtle, and I just want to unpack them really briefly for us this morning. But let's start with the really obvious one, and it is the desire to be free to do whatever the heck we want at whatever time. And if we want to live in that particular way, we're going to find the community is going to get in the way of us all of the time, so we just reject it and do our own thing. What I'm talking about here is the life of the individualists. They are the people who don't want to commit to that party or say yes to that event because they're holding off in case they get a better offer. You know the kind of people that I'm talking about, right? Being free to do whatever the heck we want, whenever we want it, is such an ideal for us today. And here's the truth, even I and we are being formed into that way of being, whether we realize it or not. But what we've got to see is that this form of freedom, which isn't actually freedom at all, is doing something to us. And there's actually an invitation for us to live in a better way. David Brooks puts it like this, it's gonna appear on the screen, and I love this quote. Freedom sucks. Political freedom is great, but personal, social, and emotional freedom, whenever it becomes an ultimate end, absolutely sucks. It leads to a random, busy life with no discernible direction, no firm foundation, and all that's solid just melts to air and becomes nothing. It turns out that freedom isn't an ocean that you want to spend your life in. Freedom is a river that you want to get across so that you can plant yourself on the other side and fully commit to something. Or I would pull that thread slightly further and say fully commit to a community of people. If we want to be free and do whatever the heck we want, whenever we want it, we will soon find that our lives become trapped rather than free. Because we're ending up living a life that is based on conditions, the conditional life. If I, is that the way of thinking of saying, if I'm able to spend time with this particular person, then I will be able to get this opportunity. If I'm able to take this job, then this thing will open up for me. If I do this, then I will get that. It is the conditional way of living. And if we live our lives like that, we will just chase after conditions all of the time. And that will leave us, as Brooke says, with a random, busy life with no discernible direction. But true freedom, not this kind of freedom, but true freedom is found in the acceptance of the unconditional, unconditional love, where we realize that we've got nothing to prove, so we've got everything to give away to other people. That is living freely and lightly, as we talked about all summer, that is true freedom. And the best place to experience this unconditional love is within the community of the church, a family that is founded upon grace, a community where you're welcomed and you're loved as you are, where you have nothing to prove to anybody else, a family that we can commit fully to, invest our entire lives into, where we don't need to chase after conditions anymore, but instead we can experience the lightness of freedom. Freedom that is found in commitment. Does that make sense? You with me on that? The second one um, is less obvious. But I want to take a moment to speak into our particular context here in the Lagan Valley region. Um, the one about individualism, that's pretty broad. That happens all across the world. But I want to speak right into our context here, where I believe that the highest form, the ideal of community, is so often found in the context of the biological family and our group of friends. That is, for us, the ideal of community. Now, before I get into this, I want to be really clear, all right? I want to be really, really clear. 
Here at the Vineyard, we are passionate about your family and we are passionate about your friends. We want each of you to experience health and wholeness in all of your family relationships and in all of your friendships. You hear us speak about that all of the time. It is a given for us, right? We're all clear on that, right? Yet, there is a temptation whenever we are able to live into health and to wholeness that we can have an amazing family and a really good group of friends and think to ourselves, I'm sorted. I don't need anybody else in my life. I've got community absolutely locked down. My life is full. Here's the thing. For the entirety of eternity, we are going to be part of a family, part of a community that is so much wider and so much more diverse than your family and your friends. It is the gathering together of the community of the church from all tribes, all nations, all tongues, from all ages of the world. The diverse community of the church is going to be the family that you're going to be with for the rest of eternity. That is where the Spirit of God is leading us. And here's the thing. We get to live into that future reality now. Through the church, through us, that kind of community can be known and experienced and actually opened up for people who are crying out for that kind of family relationship and that friendship in the here and in the now. We're awaiting an age whenever Jesus will be like a bridegroom and he is going to encounter his bride, which is going to be us, the diverse community of the church. And here's the thing. Our marriages, our friendships, and our family lives are to be like prophetic insights into that glorious future. And we're to draw that kind of community into the present. If we think, hey, I've got my people locked down I'm sorted. I don't need anybody else in my life. We will only pull community smaller and smaller and smaller and reduce it down to a community that is based on our preferences and refine it right the way down to something that just accommodates us and our way of life. We're in danger. It's a subtle danger, but we're in danger of making community all about us. All about us. Only spending time with people that we like. Only spending time with people based on our needs and our preferences only spending time with people who are similar to us. And instead of diversity, we find uniformity, which goes completely against what the Spirit of God is wanting to do in and through his church. What I'm talking about here are cliques, not spirit-formed communities, but a community that we have manufactured for ourselves, a community that only accommodates me. And another way to describe a clique is a sect, the root of sectarianism, where we create barriers based on who's in and who's out of community. Now, very few of us do this intentionally, I hope, but we can subtly fall into the trap of creating cliques. Let me put it to you like this. Imagine that you run around with a group of friends, as people in Lisburn say, it's my favorite Lisburn expression, you run around with a group of friends, like we're kind of constantly running all the time, right? My grandmother says that to me all the time, you run around with a group of friends. So, Imagine you run around with a group of friends, right? All of you are married, and all of you have decent jobs. You're all doing well in life. If you spend your time only engaging in that community, whether you mean to it or whether you mean to it or not, it would be really hard for somebody who is single, whether that is a choice that they're living into, whether it's a season of life thing, or whether singleness has been forced upon them. It's going to be really hard for somebody who is single to find themselves integrated into that community. 
Or somebody who doesn't earn as much as you and you go off and do X, Y, and Z things all of the time that cost a little bit more dough, that person is instantly gonna be excluded because they cannot afford to do that. Whether you mean to or not, if you just stick with that clique all of the time, you will restrict people from entering into community life with you. You will narrow in on people and you'll restrict others. But here's the thing, that is not the way of the church. Let me be really clear here. Please, please, please pursue health and wholeness with your family and your mates. Please, and hear me on this, spend more time with them in the context of your busy lives because you need them, they provide laughs for you and they need to give you life. We really need them but please enjoy relationships with your family and friends within the wider context of the church, within the wider context of what the Spirit of God is doing amongst community, a diverse community coming together who are different from you. Widen your life. Widen your life to experience an extended family, a family that you didn't even realize that you had at first. The extended family of the church that the Spirit of God is weaving together. Sometimes we can think, wouldn't it be the dream if just church was just full of our friends? People like me, people who weren't annoying, people who didn't have their messy lives, people who didn't have different opinions from me, different attitudes. It may be the dream sometimes, but it is not the glory of what Jesus has invited us into. The glory of a diverse church coming together, the kind of community that whenever you encounter it, you wouldn't believe your eyes. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the great martyr, puts it like this. By the way, this is a sucker punch of a quote, so strap in. Those who love their dream of a Christian community more than they love the Christian community itself, the actual community, become destroyers of that Christian community. Those who dream of this idolized community demand that it be fulfilled by God, by others, and by themselves. They enter the community of Christians with their demands set up of their own law and judge one another and God accordingly. It is not we who build, but it is Christ who builds his church. We don't define community. The Spirit of God does. We get to join in on what he has been doing since Pentecost, forming a new people a really diverse group of people, a family of brothers and sisters. And next week, Andy is going to explore what happens whenever the world witnesses this kind of community and what it does amongst us. So how do we stop narrowing? How can we stop widening? Or sorry, how can we live into this widening of our life and embrace the diverse community of the church? The key in all of this is devotion. Let's turn back to Acts chapter two again as we come into land. Acts chapter two, verse 42. It's a teaching text that Chris read for us earlier. To be able to live into this widening of life, embracing what the Spirit is wanting to do amongst us, Acts two forty-two is so key. It's all about devotion says this, they devoted themselves, and skip over a few words, to the fellowship, to the fellowship. The early church show us how it is done. It is a devoted community. This word for fellowship in the Greek is koinonia. There's three things that are going on in one word. The Greeks love this. The three things are this, commonality, partnership, and sharing. 
That is what it means to be in fellowship with one another, to be in common, to be partners together, and to share. And there is a way of life that the early church, the purest form of community, that they lived by, a set of practices that counteracted individualism and also these clique communities, a set of practices that formed family. Let's work through them together. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings. They submitted themselves to the teachings of Jesus and to the early church fathers. They were willing to lay down their personal agendas and hear what God was wanting to do amongst them. They broke bread together. We're gonna do this in just a few moments. This sacred meal that flattens community to a band of equals where everyone is welcome to be transformed by Jesus and take a seat at the table. They also prayed together. They devoted themselves to prayer. We are to be a praying community. Here's the thing. Whenever we live into the truest form of community, mess happens. The reality of life hits. And that means that we have to pray a lot. We have to pray a lot for each other, laying hands on each other, contending for each other, interceding for each other. That's what it looks like to be in community with one another. Also, generosity. Look with me at verse 44 and 45. All of the believers were together and they had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give anyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet together. They were generous. If you were in need in this community, it was sorted for you. You just said that you were in need and then people would go and sell their possessions. They would give to be able to help you. They stood with each other in celebration and in grief. There was this generosity of spirit that just took over this community. This generosity of spirit where everyone gives and everyone receives. That is the ecosystem of the church. Everyone gives and everyone receives. This isn't just the idea or the talk of community. This is the reality of it. They met together in larger gatherings like this, but they also met in each other's homes. They ate together. So important in community, they shared food together. They celebrated with glad and sincere hearts, practicing true hospitality. We've warped hospitality into two things. Firstly, an industry, and secondly, just doing things for our friends. Whereas true hospitality is the invitation to people who would never be able to repay us back into community. Somebody really important said that once before. And we also get to live a life of worship. But here's the thing. I want you to notice that as this church engaged in these practices that formed them into the kind of community that the Spirit was wanting to form them into, they automatically even saw the Spirit break out amongst them. Verse 43 says this, everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. And verse 47, they enjoyed the favor of all of the people. Their reputation in the region just grew and grew and grew. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Salvation was happening all across this community. This is the origin story of the church. The church that the spirit breathed into being and we're invited to live in exactly the same way. And here's the thing, this kind of life, it can't be done by showing up here once a week on a Sunday morning, it just can't. This kind of life is immersive. It is more than just a service. There's an invitation to enter into the joy and the beauty and the mess and the power and the fullness of community. And we honestly believe 
that the best place for you to be able to do this is through tribes. Because through tribes, we get to be able to come together from different families, from different friendship groups, to form an extended family. We get to practice this way of life, not just on a tribe night, not just whenever we meet fortnightly, but if you hear that somebody's in need in tribe, then we all get the opportunity to be able to give to that person, to be able to go away and think, how can we help resource them? If somebody says any prayer, of course, we're the vineyard, we pray for them in that moment, but then we also spend weeks praying for them and interceding for them all the time. We don't just hang out on tribe nights, we get together for brunch, we get together for coffee, to watch the football or whatever. We get to gather around the scriptures, pray together, worship, share food, give our stuff away, serve the community together, and see God's kingdom come. And this is why tribes are so, so important to us here. Because through them, we get to live as the people of God. We get to live as different people, a diverse people. We get to be the kind of community that the Spirit is weaving together, diverse and devoted. So, what does community look like? It looks like two people from Lisburn experiencing home around two plastic tables in North Vietnam. It looks like the Trinity, with its culture of generosity, of unity and diversity, full of purpose, pouring itself out for the sake of others and bound together in love. It looks like peering through the window of the early church to see a very diverse table, the one of which you wouldn't believe your eyes. And it looks like extended families all across this region gathering together, sharing life together and being one. Let's stand together as I come into land. Can I get the band up? That's what community looks like. But I want to leave you with one final picture of what I believe the community looks like. Whenever I, stick with me, it'll all make sense, but whenever I visualize the church, I imagine the jungle. I imagine a rainforest an ecosystem that is dense and lush with all kinds of creatures, creatures from the microscopic to the majassive, all sharing life together in one space, intertwined and interwoven, a community that is more diverse than you can even imagine. And in the past few weeks, my heart has been broken whenever I've um, been watching the news and looking at the Amazon, the lungs of the earth billowing out smoke. This rich ecosystem being threatened by people's silly agendas and by their politics. And I think there's something for us to pay attention to in that, by the way, that as our agendas get in the way, we end up ruining the ecosystem. Here's the thing. We as the church are to be a dense, lush ecosystem full of diverse unity. We are to be the lungs of the earth. And I want to finish with a quote from David Brooks again. Um, but I say this not just to kind of say words. This is my prayer for us as we launch tribes this morning. So let me read this for us. A good community is like a dense jungle. There are vines and there are intertwining branches. There are meshed root systems and connections across the canopy. There are monkeys playing at the treetops and butterflies darting below. Every creature has a place in the great ecosystem. There is a gorgeous diversity and beauty and vitality. 
A good person living a good life is a creature that is enmeshed in that jungle. A good life is a symbiotic life, serving others wholeheartedly and being served wholeheartedly in return. It is daily acts of loving kindness, gentleness and reproach, forbearance after insult. It is an adventure of mutual care. I love that. Building and exploration. The, cru- the crucial question is not who am I, but whose am I? And when you see a group of people in that state, you don't see individuals, but you see a community, a people, where people help one another, where they magnify one another's talents, where they enjoy one another's creativity and they rest in each other's hospitality. Joy is found on the far side of sacrificial service. It is found in giving yourself away. And when you see that, you realize that joy isn't just a feeling, but it is a permanent state of thanksgiving and friendship, communion and solidarity. This is not an end to troubles and cares because life doesn't offer us utopia, but the self has shrunk back to its proper size. When relationships are tender, when commitments are strong, when communication is pure, when the wounds of life have have been absorbed and the wrongs forgiven, here's the thing, people bend towards each other. They intertwine with one another and some mystical combustion happens. Love emerges between people as a nothing, as a pure flame. This is what community looks like. This is the invitation for us to live into. Welcome to the jungle, brothers and sisters. So before we worship and share bread and wine together, I spoke all morning about it being down to the Holy Spirit to curate community. And so with that, um, it would only be right for us to give him a little bit of space before we move on. We've got some time this morning for us to see what he wants to do amongst us, informing us and shaping us into that kind of community. If you're new to this community, you'll hear us. um, It's really useful for you to know this. We have a prayer that we pray all of the time. It's super simple, but it is powerful. It's three words, come Holy Spirit. And we pray that prayer with a desire for us to kind of lay our hands off the steering wheel and for us to give ourselves over to God again and say, Holy Spirit, do what you want to do. And in the silence, and even as our children play behind us, a beautiful sign of community at work amongst us this morning. I'm just gonna take a few moments and just invite the Spirit to come. Just welcome him, see what he wants to do. We don't need to rush through this and we're just gonna welcome him. Is that all right? You up for that? So let's just settle our hearts for a moment. Let's just wait. If it's helpful to close your eyes, please do that. If it's helpful to hold out your hands or change your posture slightly, please do that also. Spirit, we recognize you as the one who has formed community right from the day of Pentecost. You haven't stopped doing that. You're not stopping doing that. You're continuing to do it. And with that, we simply want to say, come Holy Spirit. We welcome you this morning. We welcome you into our lives once again. We welcome you into this community once again. Come Holy Spirit, we pray.
there's two groups of people that I would just love to pray for briefly before we share communion. Um, one is for those of us who have, whether we've intentionally or not, we've kind of um, formed cliques. We've rejected people. And we just recognize that. We've sensed that actually this isn't very comfortable this morning, but I just recognize that God is doing something in me. And, and before we come to the table to share bread and wine, I would love us just to pray a prayer of repentance. Um, just to, and repentance isn't a scary word. It's simply just changing the way that we think, laying down an old pattern of living and picking up a new way of pattern or a new way of living. So if that is you, all our, all our eyes are closed, but if you just want to hold out your hands or lay your hands on your heart, and I'd love just to pray over us as we do that. Heavenly Father, we recognize that you call us into diversity, and yet at times for safety or for comfort, we desire uniformity. We desire to be the same as other people and to live into community with other people who are very like us. And yet we recognize this morning, Lord, that that isn't really what you've invited us into. And so we just come before you now and we just want to say sorry for that. And we want to change. We want to widen our lives, extend ourselves further. And so, Lord, we repent. And Holy Spirit, would you give us the power and the ability to be able to pick up a new way of living, to be in step with you as you form community. Lead us in that way, I pray. In Jesus' name. The other group of people I love to pray for, and don't worry about responding physically because um, this is a bit more sensitive, is for those of us who have been hurt by the community of the church before. Here's the thing, we say this all the time, that if you get around us, we're gonna end up disappointing you, like we're not perfect human beings, and we're not saying that we have got everything sussed. But I love just to pray for us, recognizing that whenever it comes to the church, it is the ecosystem of both giving and receiving, and for some of us, we've held off from actually receiving because of things that have happened in the past. We've held off from giving because of things that have happened in the past. And so if that is you, let me just pray for you before we come to the table. Lord Jesus, we pray release and healing and freedom over those of us who have been hurt, who have been bound, who have been disappointed by the community of the church in the past. And we pray, Lord, that you would lead us into life and into freedom and into wholeness and that in community we'd be able to experience healing and love and acceptance. And Lord, we have held ourselves back at times from living into what you're wanting to do amongst us in community. And so, Lord, as of this morning, would you give us the courage to be able to step into community, not step away from it? Would you give us the courage to be able to step towards our brothers and sisters, not turn our backs on them? And would you give us all of the grace that we need to be able to live into that reality, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.